You're listening to the official Dietitian Connection podcast. This podcast gives you access to the most successful and influential experts in the dietetic profession. This podcast will inspire you, it will challenge you, and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realize your dreams. Hello to all of our listeners and welcome to this month's episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm your host, Kate Agnew. So joining us today is down-to-earth speaker, award-winning writer, teacher and entrepreneur, Tara Diversi. In the past, Tara has been professional athlete, specialist dietitian, counsellor, executive coach and a director of a successful business. And Tara is currently the Assistant Professor of Nutrition and Dietetics at Bond University. She's also a PhD candidate and she's just commenced a new job wherein she facilitates young people to become entrepreneurs. So today Tara is on the show to talk about entrepreneurship and also share some of the key lessons that she's learned so far during her extensive career. Hello, Tara. Thank you for joining us on the Dietitian Connection podcast. It's very great to have you here. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for having me. I've had the pleasure of seeing you speak, Tara, and I'm really keen to get stuck into some conversation around entrepreneurship and also some of the theories that we can use to guide our practice. So, very excited. Yeah, I think um, it's one area that we as dietitians, like even a lot of people say, we don't learn enough about this, but there's so much information out there. I think that it's an area that dietitians can really embrace if they, you know, have an open mind a little bit. Definitely. So Tara, I understand that you've just started a new role this year. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, Kate, it's really exciting. And I think it's something that relates to us as dietitians really well. It's for my local area in Cairns and it's a federally funded program to encourage entrepreneurship. So the idea behind this is is that allowing people to work for themselves rather than looking for a job but looking at more innovative ways. So my job as an entrepreneurship facilitator is to provide some business mentoring and coaching, to set up networking events, to bring up some amazing entrepreneurs that have really done some different things in their industries and to really encourage entrepreneurship as a career and not only to the young people but also to their parents that are often trying to push people towards the stability of a job, you know, and in my opinion kind of particularly so my grant is for people between the ages of 18 and 24 and something I always say to my students is there's absolutely no better time in your life to start a business because there's always a risk when you're starting a business, but when you're coming straight out of uni, you've got your own thoughts, you've got your own education, and you just don't have, usually for young people, they don't have the responsibilities of kids and mortgages and things like that. They need to have that steady income coming in. And it means that you can create that risk, which means that you can access the reward a lot easier as well. Uh, that's a very interesting point, Tara, um, with regards to the, the risk analysis involved. Um, yeah. One of my mentors is a guy called Richard Thaler, and he wrote a book called Nudge, and that's an area that I'm doing my PhD in. And 
In his new book, Misbehaving, he kind of outlines all of the policies in the world to encourage people into employment. And he said, one of the things is, if there's a cushion for you when you're starting a business, and you know, when you fail, it's not that bad. And one thing that we've got to remember is that if you fail, you're not a failure. You've just failed in that one instance. You know, there's always opportunity for you to do better and better each time. There's not many people that win at everything. So it's one of those times that I think you're going from no money. You can, you know, even if you just get a little bit more. And it's one thing that when I started my business at 22 years of age, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to work in Indigenous communities, but there were no jobs. Mm. So I couldn't work in that area. So I had to start my own business. And now I've really come back to working with disadvantaged communities, working with Indigenous communities and doing that on my own terms Mm. rather than, um, you know, within the constraints of government or other organisations that I may have worked in if there were jobs. Mm. And Tara, you've talked a little bit about Blue Ocean Strategy. I was hoping we could explore that a bit more and also how it applies to dietitians. Yeah, so the Blue Ocean Strategy is a... It's kind of a market market marketing strategy that comes from there's a book called Blue Ocean Strategy but there's also a Harvard Business Review article called Blue Ocean Strategy and you can kind of get the gist of it from that. Now, the red ocean is what they're comparing to. So the red ocean is traditional business and the way to win at traditional business is to undercut current businesses it's to fight current businesses. It's to really make that bloodbath, hence the red ocean. Mm. And the thing that I look at here is if you're, for example, sitting on Bondi Beach and you're like, I've just been there for summer, you're trying to get space on Bondi Beach, you want to put up an umbrella, you're not really going to get a lot of space to do that. You're not going to be able to relax. But I really enjoy, you know, long ocean swim. And we go straight out, we swim past Bondi, over to Bronte, sometimes even further to Coogee, and there's no one out there. You know, that is a true blue ocean and you can really see things. So you're not in that fight or flight reactive moment when you're trying to compete with others. You're not undercutting people. And the undercutting of people or the really competing with people within dietetics that's not really good for the industry because it makes other people, for example, our customers, look at us as in not trustworthy Mm. because if you're going to undercut another business, if you're going to undermine somebody else, where is the trust then for your clients, your referral base or your actual clients that you're seeing? So the Blue Ocean strategy is about creating something new and the trouble with this is is that what we do when we're young is we often ask people who are experienced and mentors or our parents, you know, what do you think about this idea? And if it's a tried and tested idea, people have seen that work. They're like, that's a fantastic idea. Go off, go and do that. Um, Go and, you know, work in medical centers, go and bulk bill. But this is something that's creating you a very, very short-term job. And it might be great for what you want to do. You might want to work for a year and then go overseas. That's fantastic. But the likelihood of that to be a sustainable business is very low. The trouble with the Blue Ocean strategies, and the example that they use in the book and in the article is the Cirque du Soleil. And obviously, they use a lot of others there as well. But basically, the Cirque du Soleil, they were the first circus that didn't have animals. Mm. And at the time, when they were saying, you know, we want to have a circus with just 
people with just acrobats and contortionists, people like that will never work. People aren't going to pay to see people. They're paying to see animals. Mm. So that was something that was super, super different. And even when I think about the small wins that I've had in my career, a lot of the time when I ask other people about them, they say, oh, that's a stupid idea. That will never work. But if you've actually done the research, you actually have some extra knowledge in that that you think that this may actually work, that's where a blue ocean is. There's not many people competing in that. About five years ago, to become an Insta-famous dietitian, you know, there weren't many people competing in that area. So mm. you could actually do that quite well. To do that now is, is a little bit more difficult because there's more people actually working in that area. Mm-hmm. So do you think we need to look for new and novel ways of doing dietetics? Kind of. Mm. One thing that I talk about a lot is something that I call an aligned selling position. So you often hear, and it's a very bad name, names are not one of my core strengths, but (laughs) (laughs) the thing that you do hear a lot is the unique selling points and that's a USP and you need to differentiate yourself. Now the thing is, is what I believe in and I believe in this very strongly is that you need to do something that aligns with your strengths. Mm. So if all the traditional dietetics, how to do traditional dietetics aligns with your strengths, you will be successful in that because when you're working in your strengths, people will gravitate to you. You'll enjoy doing your work, which means that you're able to have full empathy and you actually care about your clients and they'll continue to come back. Whereas if you're doing something just to get a job or because you see a market, so for example, you may see a market for an app, but you might not have, you might use apps. I know people who've told me they want to write a book and I say, oh, what's the last book you've read? Oh, I don't really read. Hmm. Well, I can guarantee you your book is not going to sell. So it's those types of things. If you're a writer and a reader, you're working within that community, you know what you know people, what people enjoy, what sells books, all of those types of things, you're actually going to do well, not just from a financial point of view, but in my mind, you know, work is not so much about the money that you can make. It's all about if you're living your purpose. And if you actually wait, like every morning I wake up and I think, you know, how lucky am I to go to work? And often people probably, you know, someone said to me this morning when I was getting coffee, they're like, oh, you're back at work yet? And I said, yep, you know, third day today. And they're like, oh, I bet you wish to be on holidays. And I'm like, nope, mm. very excited to go back to work. Mm. So if you're doing that, People enjoy coming to see you. But if you're moping around, nobody wants to see the cranky dietitian, nobody wants to see the cranky doctor, nobody wants to see the cranky hairdresser. They want to see someone that loves being there and loves seeing them and, you know, loves giving their advice to them. So I think it's around maybe doing something different for some people, but for some people doing things the best way that you can obviously working with mentors, getting really good advice, but the amount of time some people have come up to me, dietitians in particular, young dietitians, or sometimes not young but inexperienced, and they'll say, what do you think of this idea? And sometimes I think they think I'm making a cop out and I say, I don't know, like this could be the best idea in the world. I know that I couldn't do it, but think about, you know, are you the best person to do this? Mm. And I can see how frustrated they're getting at me because they just think, I don't know what they think, but I think that they think, oh, you know, Tara's, you know, just doesn't want to tell me whether it's a good idea. But what's a good idea for me isn't a good idea for you, Kate, and isn't a good idea for, you know, 
somebody else. There's there's a good idea for everyone, mm-hmm. but it might not be the same as somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And that relates back to our strengths. 100%. Mm. Your strengths, but also things you enjoy doing. If you're like I, I was talking to my GP yesterday and she said to me, you know, oh, we just wish you'd come back and see clients. And I said, yeah, I was quite okay at doing that. She's like, you were a great dietitian and you still are a great dietitian. And that is one of my strengths, but I don't like seeing one-on-one clients. I like seeing one-to-many or I like working with, say, young dietitians or young business people so that they can help other people and mm-hmm. do what they love as well. Mm-hmm. So, Tara, can you tell me more about the qualifications to art pyramid that you've um, discussed previously? Yeah. So, this is basically a – it's quite difficult to – tell you about it without drawing it <laughs> well, but we'll, one of the, we'll link the listeners to the webinar which you did on it okay yeah so this is about taking time and you know I've worked with a few young people recently and you know they always look at people who are experienced I've had dietitians who say you know I just want to be like you and things like that not about just about me but about other experienced dietitians And one thing you've got to remember, you may look up to your lecturers, you may look up to your mentors, you may look up to the dietitians on TV, but they didn't graduate and become that person. They actually did the work. So I've been a dietitian for nearly 15 years or, you know, I stopped counting, but it's not yet 15, but it's pretty close to 15 years. So I've had all of that time. So think about how much you've learned at university in your first two years. Imagine if you embraced learning every year and continued to push yourself to learn not just new things, not just going up, but going broader into different areas that might interest you. So it's around giving things a little bit of time. But how we start is really by having that those entry-level qualifications. So we basically start with the qualifications. And the value to that to the outside world is, you know, just it, it's getting a job, it's getting the education across. and But there's actually more value for you because it's really in that learning So when you're getting those clients, you may not be getting the real dollars for hours you're working. So when I first started in my private practice, I would see a client for an hour. But to see that one client, I probably did two hours of study before, during and after, well, before and after to make sure I was doing the right thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Now, that means that it's taking me three hours to get one hour worth of consultation money. Um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But that's the value to the client. You need to be doing that. You can't just graduate and go, yep, I know everything. Now, from there, we get the science. We get that black and white. This is what we do for somebody with diabetes. This is what we do for someone with renal disease. This is what we do with someone with an eating disorder. It's black and white. That's what the evidence says. And that has a little bit more value because you understand the latest in science. And one of the things that I like I only ever employed um, new graduates because they really understood the latest in evidence base and they were willing to apply that and to actually start experimenting. So that's kind of your your two, I kind of call that your two kind of dollar signs. Now, the next stage after that is kind of the gray areas. And once you start to work, even after you start seeing a couple of clients, you might try to work in the evidence base and go, well, for this client, this actually doesn't work. So there's a lot of gray areas in nutrition. There's a lot of things that we haven't studied. So you kind of have to do your own experiments, you know, in your clinic to see what works and what what, what doesn't work. 
And if you look at research, if you look, you know, into the nitty-gritty of research, research is reported to say that this diet or this intervention was more effective and it's scientifically <laughs> good with words, significant. <laughs> so then you're like, you think, oh, well, that's the way to go. But if you actually looked at all of those individual cases, what you'll find is that in some cases there's people who respond really, really well to the intervention. They're the hyper-responders. Then you have people that do well, and we get maybe most people, you know, that are actually doing better than they would have done previously. But you're still going to find a couple of people who don't respond or actually have a negative response. And if you're working with a client who has a negative response, despite 98% of the population having a positive response, it's not helpful for you to say to that client, well, you know, the evidence shows this, so you must be doing something wrong, or you must be cheating on your meal plan, or you must be having more salt than than we discussed. They might not actually, they might just not have, they're individuals. Mm. So the gray area is really do, looking at clients as an individual, and that's where I try to get all of my new graduates to, from education qualifications to really in that third level of trying to work with individuals and know that sometimes there's a bit of gray area in the evidence. Now the third, the, sorry, the fourth stage is around practical thinking. And this is where people really get value from consultations. They don't, particularly with the amount of information out there, they don't really get the value from providing them education or information. Some people do. But where they get the benefit from and where they can actually make changes is that practical information. So being able to say, you need to include this brand of canned tomatoes and if you include fresh tomatoes instead of canned tomatoes, it actually changes you know, the amount of salt in your diet by X amount of milligrams. Mm-hmm. So they're the things that are really valuable. Giving That's why a lot of clients ask for recipes. Um, even if they don't use them, they want to see how they can practically put this into place. Mm. The next stage from here is the intuition, which something that is a little bit more difficult to develop, but it's around that 10,000-hour rule. So if you're a dietitian, you've taken a plunge and you're in private practice by yourself and you've only got, I remember, you know, I've still got all my client books from when I first started when I had two three four clients you know seeing me in a week um right until when I finished and it was like 130 clients in a week so you know I remember those days where I had no one booked in and instead of just sitting there or you know trying to look for other work or like stressing what I did was I sat there and I would study and I would research and I would do case studies and I would really push myself to continue learning and use that time productively so the intuition is one that you can't really develop. Well, you can develop, but it develops over time. And that's when you talk to a dietitian who's been out for 20 years and they say, oh, well, that, they'll just look at a patient and they'll go, oh, well, that patient needs, you know, 60 mils of Nutrison an hour, you know, and we'll have a break here and there because they've seen so many clients with that condition that they know these things basically just by looking at someone. Mm. And then the last stage is really the one that everyone can work in. And this kind of ties back to that blue ocean is, you know, what do you find easy and other people find difficult? So if you're amazing at creating videos and, you know, all other dietitians find that hard, maybe you could do that as a service. What do you enjoy doing? Which for me, and, you know, I'm I'm sometimes a bit different from other people, but for me, it's all about 
what do I enjoy enjoy doing that other people don't like doing? And for me, it's pretty much like writing and, and those types of getting things done, speaking. And so if I enjoy it and other people don't enjoy it, then there's a premium price paid for that. Mm-hmm. And then the final one is what are you excellent at? So it's the three E's. What are you excellent at? What do you enjoy doing? And what is easy for you to do? And if you can find something like that, it's really easy to go, oh, everyone finds this easy. But the more and more people tell you, oh, you're amazing at that or, you know, you're doing really well at that or, oh, how'd you do that in just, you know, half a day? It takes me a week. If you're finding those types of conversations coming along, that's maybe where you need to start looking for where is your art? Where is something that's really, you know, and the simple word is, you know, if there was an Australian idol for one little piece of your life, what is it that you would be mm. a finalist in that? Yeah. And that's where, you know, if you focus on that, people pay a premium for that and you'll find you'll love your work because you're doing what you enjoy, you're doing what you find easy and people, you know, think that it's amazing. Yeah. And so is this where charging for value rather than time sort of comes in? Yeah, definitely. So, and this is, it kind of comes into what I spoke about before as well where, as a new grad, you might be charging the same fee as a senior dietitian. So you might be charging $150 a consultation. But for the senior dietitian, they're doing 30 minutes for that or 40, 40 minutes or 45 minutes for that consultation. But you might be doing three hours. Mm. When you first start doing menu reviews or you start developing packages for corporations or you're developing packages for um, restaurants or cafes, it's going to take you a lot longer than it will when you're experienced and you've done that a few times. So the first time you do it, it might be, wow, you know, I got paid $1,000, but this took me, you know, 100 hours to do or, you know, whatever it is. So I really only got paid $10. But every time you redo a project similar, not that you, you use exactly the same thing, but you become more competent. And that's where when at the start you really need to be confident, that's the kind of faking it till you make it. You need to be confident but maybe do a lot more study in actually doing it. So aware, being aware that maybe you're not competent just yet but you can be confident so you can sell that service. And as you go along, still continuing to give people value but it might be that the first thing time that you did it, it might have taken you 100 hours but then the last time, you know, not the last time, but, you know, three or four years later, it might take you a day. Mm-hmm. So you're actually, can you see how that kind of works there? Yeah, definitely. And it's, so it's very difficult to charge per hour. So a lot of people will ask me, you know, oh, I've got this, you know, cafe and they want me to do this. What would you charge per hour? And I always charge, even from when I first graduated, I've always charged a project fee. So for these projects, for these this outcome, then this is what you pay. And then what I would do on top of that is always try and give them the satisfaction of getting it done early or giving them a little bit more than what they paid for so that, you know, the whole, you know, the old story of making sure that your their expectations are exceeded rather than them coming back to you saying, oh, we thought we were going to get this, but we didn't get all of this. Or did it really take you 40 hours to do that? Because we can only see a two-page document. So you're really kind of, being accountable for the outcome as opposed to the processes or the the hours. This is the biggest thing. So this is the biggest thing if you want to have a successful business because you don't want to be justifying your hours. You want to be able to spend enough time on a project that you think is fair and they get value from that. 
So, for example, if it's a childcare centre that wants a menu review, they might be able to get it from, you know, an organisation for $30, but can they get something that's personalised and can they get something that actually improves, you know, the value for their organisation and for their children? Potentially not for that amount of money. What can they get from you? They can get something that's personalised. They can get something where you've spoken to the staff. They can get something that you're really proud to call best practice and to be proud that you're associated with that. Mm -hmm. And that's where the value comes in. And you need to decide, and this is the difficulty, is how much value, and that can be related to time. So at the start it might be, okay, this is going to take me 100 hours, but how long would it take, you know, the best person in this field? And are they going to charge 100 hours worth of money for this? Probably not because it's going to take them 10 hours. So I'll just charge what, you know, that person would charge for the 10 hours and because why would they get someone new to something when they're kind of learning mm-hmm. and when they can get an experienced person and pay for a tenth of the time? If that Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, Tara, I was wondering if you could give us just a, a brief overview on um, the concept of having safe income, art income and freedom income and why it needs to be more than 100%. Yeah, 100% of your time, yeah. So, One of the questions that I often get from people after I do my talks about basically telling them how I started my private practice, and this is like verbatim, I can, you know, think of about 10 just on the top of my head where they say, Tara, I really want my business to be like yours. I want to be able to build it up. I want to be able to not work in it. I want to be able to sell it, but I don't really want to spend that time Hmm. doing it. So do you have any tips of how I could do it without spending the time? And I always laugh because I sit there and I think, or I'm standing, I think, oh my God, you know, if I knew that, I would have done it another way. I'm not that stupid. (laughs) So for me, it's all around. And if you actually look at people who are truly successful in their business, they really spend a lot of time. And I've noticed, like I've spent a lot of time with some really great people and some great mentors, and they all do a lot more than their work time. Mm-hmm. And for you, you need to question, you know, is this actually worth it? Like, do I actually want to give up seeing my friends for a year so I can build my business? Do I want to give up seeing my family and being able to go to all the family events so I can be 100% focused on my business? And if the answer is no, that's fine, but it's just going to take you a little bit longer to build your business. And we all have to have sacrifices. You can have it all, but not all at once. Mm-hmm. So, It might be that there's certain parts in your life that you have to work so hard at your marketing, so hard at your professional image, or so hard at developing your systems or developing your IP or developing your resources. But at other times, it may be, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I've worked really hard. I'm going to give myself, you know, time off to spend with my child. I'm going to have a long maternity leave if I want to do that. Um, Or I'm going to, you know, go on that long trip overseas for a while. So it's around being really realistic around that. You can't really have it all and be 100% there. And some of you may have tried this and you'll notice that you're sitting there with your friends and you're thinking about, oh, I need to see that person or I need to have a meeting with this referrer and you're not actually really there for your friends. So for me, I kind of work in, you know, I'm focusing on my business at this stage and, you know, it doesn't really take that long once you, if you really, really focus on your business you'll have those times like you know for the last few years of my life I've been able to do whatever I want with my work and be 100% there for my baby 100% there for my partner and my friends 
But that wasn't the case when I started my business. I didn't see my best friend, you know, in social occasions for like two years. Wow. <laughs> We'd go out for the occasional coffee and things like that, but I, we wouldn't, you know, have that friendship. But we've definitely been able to get back onto that, you know, as we've as I've become less busy. But you do find people work a lot. So one of the things that I tell people, particularly if you're listening to this and you're a senior dietitian or you're someone who's got a wage, it may be that you're getting a wage of, say, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 grand, whatever you're getting, and thinking about, well, how much do I actually want to earn in my business? And this is one of the things about looking at the risks. And my suggestion is actually saving that money. You need to be really disciplined when you're looking at building a successful business or successful wealth. And it's not just about how much you earn. It's about how much you can save. Yeah. So saving that money for to start your own business, having a separate fund that has a high interest and trying to get around about half of your yearly income into that before you take the risk of getting out of your, out of your job. Or additionally saying, okay, well, I work 37 hours in my job, but I'm going to work an additional 20 or 30 hours outside of work. And that's pretty easy to do if you tail a day. So if you get up earlier in the morning do your exercise, come home and sit down and write or sit down and do your work for the first two hours, then go to work, come home while you're watching TV and work. And this doesn't sound like a really fantastic life for some people, but this is but this is the start of it. This is a very small period of pain that makes the success even, even you know, feel greater at the end. So, you know, working in that time, working on passion projects. So even if you're really happy working in your clinical job or as an employee, you love being an employee, having little passion projects that are either through your work or through um, volunteering or anything like that because you've still got to have that sense of purpose as well. Mm -hmm. So really splitting up some of that time I think is really, really important to keep Life is not about time management. It's about energy management and really being able to manage how you feel most of the time. And just on that note, Tara, um, you do talk about navigating the dip of energy versus reward. Um, Yeah. We're we're out of time for today, but the listeners can definitely watch that on the webinar that you presented. Is that right? Yeah. You know, I can't remember what I put in that webinar, but I'm I'm pretty sure that was in there as well. Yeah. yeah. Tara, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, you always leave me with lots of um, ideas in my head after I've had a chat with you. And I hope the listeners are full of ideas as well and new ways of thinking. So thank you so much. Thanks, Kate. Thanks so much for having me on. And um, where can the listeners go if they want to explore even more of this stuff? Oh, do you know what? The thing that <laughs> this, this is a question in itself, but read, just read as much as you can. I don't have anything at the moment that's online, but I will have soon. But, mm. you know, one of the things that I did when I started my business and in that time where I was working was reading as many books. At the start, you might not be able to afford consultants but you can read their books and you can mm-hmm. learn from people in that way. So I hope you guys, the listeners, were able to get as much from that episode as I was. And if you would like to enjoy even more opportunities, 
further inspiration and a front row seat to community discussions with like-minded nutrition leaders, then the Dietitian Connection Premium Membership is for you. Your Premium Membership will ensure that you're informed with the exclusive Dietitian Connection newsletter. And one of the most useful resources is all-year-round access to webinars as well as discounts at Dietitian Connection events. So to sign up, go to dietitianconnection.com and then pop to the Member Benefits tab and select Premium Benefits. Thanks again for being a part of the Dietitian Connection community. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast.